Welcome to the Dark Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sarah Purnell. And I'm Sophie Waters. And this week we're looking at A Lesson in Vengeance by Victoria Lee. A year after the tragic death of her girlfriend, Felicity Morrow is back at the Dalloway School for a second attempt at her senior year, and she's thrilled to be back in her Darwin House dorm room, the exclusive building thought to be haunted by five witches. While the school doesn't want to draw on the dark past of the Dalloway witches, the girls can't resist the darkness, and neither could Felicity before Alex died, and the new girl won't let her leave it behind her. Ellis is a teenage prodigy novelist and it's her first year at Dalloway. She's brilliant and charismatic and Felicity can't help but be drawn to her. History begins to repeat itself when Ellis asks Felicity to help her research her next novel about the Dalloway Five. Um, As usual, before we get stuck in, there are some content warnings. Quite a fair few content warnings for this book. Um, More than we've listed, so always go and check those out story graph yeah story graph yeah great resource for content warnings so we have death murder grief mental illness animal death gaslighting toxic relationships and more (laughs) and more (laughs) those are just skimming the surface (laughs) and also our standard spoiler warning we will be talking about everything in the novel and a lesson in vengeance does veer towards a thriller towards the end, so there will be big, big spoilers in this podcast mm. episode. If you want more from us, um, you can sign up to our mailer, which goes out every two weeks along with our podcast episodes, and you can find us at thedarkacademicalsbookclub.substack.com. We have giveaways, we have exclusive um, Q&As, everything, everything you could want well that that might be going a little bit too far (laughs) but but we like it (laughs) and we've got some really good stuff lined up for this season of the podcast so please do give us a follow and sign up Mm. right shall we get into it let's this novel wow (laughs) so before we uh start talking (laughs) about that why did we choose it i think for when we so we kind of have like a a process we kind of chuck everything that we think could be a dark academicals book on a list and then we go back and review them and kind of chat about them and decide what we want to do and this one had like the the kind of tagline of perfect for fans of v schwab lee badugo ml rio and donatart and that's some name checking there yeah can't ignore that (laughs) so that was the first indication really wasn't it yeah, it's also beginning to pop up on a lot of lists as well, isn't it? Mm. It was also big on TikTok last year as well, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think yeah. it was getting lots of like dark academia kind of shout outs um, on that platform, which kind of really Definitely. brought it into our shortlist, I think. I mean, and also if you take a look at the cover, there is something very dark academia about mm. the aesthetic. Yeah. I think, does it say it on the back? I'm sure I've read it somewhere, like one of those quotes anyway that says Dark Academia in it, but I don't think it's on the actual book. But I don't know, I don't have a physical copy. Oh yeah, Publisher, Publishers Weekly. Oh, okay. Calls cool. it a pro- propulsive work of Dark Academia. Hmm. Well, we'll be the judges of that. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Okay, so as ever, we will be running through our tenets of Dark Academia and how the novel lives up to them. If you are new and this is your first episode and you have no idea what we're talking about, we do have an introductory episode right at the back of... The back of our... No, that's not a way to say that. (laughs) Right, right, way, way, way back at the beginning. (laughs) That's what I was trying to say, (laughs) Um, which is an introduction to all things Dark Academia, which will help you understand what on earth we're talking about. But without further ado, our first tenet of Dark Academia is a higher education setting, often on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way. Hmm. It's not higher education, it's a high school, it's a a prep school, isn't it? Yeah. It's exclusive. It's very exclusive. I mean, it needs to be shut down, really, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I don't really know how they can call it a school it barely functions <laughs> yeah they don't really have any uh actual education um but it does all take place on campus so it, it gets that tick box i guess yeah and tick box is going to be a theme of this uh <laughs> of this episode i think mm. we have very strong feelings about this novel just a heads up on that one with this setting usually comes that atmosphere, that sense of place, the the depth of the the world. And I think that was missing with A Lesson in Vengeance. Because... Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that the setting is definitely... Um, for me, the setting is what saved a lot of this book for me. Okay, so I I didn't really get anything from the setting. It just felt to me like a a convenient location for them for these girls to basically be able to do whatever they wanted. Oh I, yeah, it was it was very convenient. But mm. like I think from a dark academia point of view, the setting was uh, adequate. It ticked the box. It ticked the box. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it did the same for old Gothic architecture too. Yeah. So like the, the Amazon summary, you know, which I presume is the summary on the back. It introduces it with, uh, you know, a centuries old ivy covered boarding school. You know, yeah. it kind of, it ticks that box straight off the bat. You know, it is that kind of old historic setting. Um, yeah, we don't know how old it is, but it's at least a couple of centuries old, isn't it? Yeah. And then, and then the um, the house that uh, Felicity and Ellis and the other girls that we meet live in um, is probably the not necessarily the oldest. So it's the oldest building, but it's built on very rocky foundations, isn't it? So it's probably yeah. the crumbliest. It's definitely the most uh, gothic, yes. I think, in that sense. Um, kind of aided by the fact that Felicity spends her evenings reading gothic novels yeah often in like rainy window ledges and yeah kind of by the fire curled up um flickering candlelight and yeah yeah in that like capital r romantic setting yeah of the gothic capital g gothic capital r romantic yes. yeah <laughs> very important uh, <laughs> Yeah, so a preoccupation with classical studies, like usually Latin, Greek, literature, philosophy. And again, it ticks the box because we do have 
the girls particularly at is it I can't remember what the house is called is it Godwin Godwin yeah Godwin house are literature majors I guess they're kind of focusing in on literature but it's not in the I mean I did I would argue it's not in the same kind of niche obsessive way that we would see in for instance the secret history no I think it's kind of a broad brush of literature so this actually became a little bit of a pet peeve of mine while I was reading there's a ton of name dropping there's mentioning authors and books across the board there's no like narrowing down there's none of that like that obsessive preoccupation with it's just like name dropping of oh yeah they're extremely literary they read lots of books and they love books so i i started listing every book and every author they mentioned (laughs) and i got bored after nine okay um and that's quite a lot and there's no kind of consistency there we've got edna st vincent malay emily dickinson shirley jackson margaret outward um dorothy l sayers sylvia plath daphne du maurier um the enchanted april which is elizabeth von armin um so yeah there's no theme there's no consistency there's no no i mean other than there being uh women writers Mm. and often i want i want to say radical but more feminist there seems to be a feminist lean to the writers that they pick yeah Yeah. left-leaning yeah definitely um, but there was no real connection. I didn't really understand the co- connection. It's like, um, we have always lived in the castle, comes up a couple of times. And Hill House. And Hill House. And I think there was just a missed opportunity to link that in properly. Yeah. Because, like, Hill House is a a master of the haunted house novel. Mm. And I think that's a massive missed opportunity for this ancient crumbling dormitory like yeah especially with what happens later on in the novel that really could have pulled in more i think but yeah it was just kind of a a broad brush stroke of yep they read yeah because they don't ever really go to class they seem to turn up to classes and they go right what are you studying and they go this and off they go (laughs) is it feels more like their entire education is a dissertation because they're writing this this thesis. Bear in mind, they're they're in high school. But they don't go to classes. They just have, like, what you would see in a a, a meeting for a dissertation. Where yeah, someone signs off sim- on their sort of like project. Seminars. Yeah. yeah, they seem to have, like, seminars. Like, for the, for the randomly, the art history mm. class that they have. Um, where they get paired, paired off yeah. for a group. I don't really understand, again, again, some of the details don't properly, like, knit together. So I don't really understand why there was a need for them to have a group assignment other than it put Ellis and Felicity together. That was the only reason. And we never actually encounter that assignment again. Oh, once. We see it in the flashback. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They're working on it um, in a flashback, but... Yeah, there's... There's not actually much of that kind of the studying, the obsession, the research, the kind of the crucial linking of these authors and books and texts Mm. to um, the book. 
And there's not just, even I, in... Go on, sorry. I was just going to say, I think that if it was going to be the Dalloway Five, which mm. is a like vein throughout the book, yeah. it doesn't go far enough. It's just kind of... It, you almost get the impression that Felicity before would have ticked that box better than the Felicity we see because obviously yeah. before she was just obsessed with that and then now it's kind of moved into... Well, she's trying to work out her grief, yeah. really. I think it actually would have been a much more interesting novel if it was a dual timeline. Yeah. So one charting that initial obsession... Um, and her relationship with Alex and the parallel grieving and meeting Ellis. Because there's all that, the talk in the summary about history repeating itself, but we yeah. don't see the history in order to be able to see it happening again. It's yeah. it's tell, not show. It, it reminded me a little bit of Plain Bad Heroines. Okay. In, just in the sense of the parallel... Mm. Uh, stories like how yeah. the the narratives were we were seeing history sort of repeating yeah. itself and that works that because it has the dual timelines doesn't yeah. it which is a magnificent novel by the way by um <laughs> emily m danforth you should all go read it yeah. um but yeah i found that like that preoccupation with the magic and the witches as well like that also felt just sprinkled in didn't it like they go to the library a few times and they they talk about the rituals yeah, and it's, and it just, it's more present than the literature, but it's still not enough. It just kind of fizzled out, though, as well. Mm. It, it, I just wanted it to be one or the other. Either go hard <laughs> on the occult stuff, yeah, or just it didn't need it at all. Like it still would have been just as powerful if they, they were just like deep into the stories of the Dalloway Five and mm. could kind of see mirrors of their own story happening. It didn't yeah. need that supernatural aspect or go really hard in on the paranormal supernatural bit and then yeah, it just kind of fizzled out that and it, it yeah. lost its importance, I think. It didn't make a choice. I think this is a novel of Lots of ideas and lots of veins and lots of wanting to tick lots of boxes and throwing them all in instead of making those choices hmm. and narrowing it down, really. Yeah. Which is sad. <laughs> I think this this book had so much potential. Definitely. Um, and I think the way that it was executed just kind of wasted opportunity really yeah i think i very rarely say this but considering this is like nearly 400 pages long this book i think it could have done with another 200 pages to be honest just to explore some of those um aspects better to be able to give us a deeper understanding Mm. um because it was incredibly readable even though like every 10 20 pages or so i was going really (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah there's some uh ridiculousness in there but it was very readable Mm, very easy to read it's very kind of classic ya yeah um, kind of compulsively readable yeah um in that way of like it's because it's not quite paranormal it's not quite fantasy we don't ever really get a definitive like is magic real i mean i think the assumption is that it's not yeah but we don't ever get that kind of big showdown of, you know, because Felicity and Ellis through this novel are arguing about whether magic is real or not. 
Mm. where the magic and ghosts and spirits and the occult is real and that as you said it just fizzles and we don't get that showdown so yeah even another 50 pages just for that i would have read yeah all right on to murder there's been a murder (laughs) that was quite a good accent actually (laughs) thank you you're welcome (laughs) yeah there's been quite a lot of murder there's a lot of death um there is a murder and then there's two murders is there well yeah because at the end she she says after she um pushes alice she talks about how she pushes she pushed alex and buried her yeah but that wasn't necessarily premeditated was it yes it was murder but it wasn't like she planned to do that it was more in the heat of an argument i'm not saying murder's still murder but like um i guess actually, would... no there is two murders the two murders are ellis and clara oh yes yeah, alex right. alex might not have happened if they you know they were arguing outside the outside the house rather than on mm. the edge of a cliff I reckon probably deliberately uh, burying her body and... Uh, I mean, that's pretty, that, that probably was knocks pretty it intense. up to murder, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is lots of death regardless. Um, but you were saying... You were talking about Clara. Cl- Clara? That's not a word. <laughs> you were talking about Clara, weren't you? And how you didn't really see why she had to die. Yeah, I don't... I just... Other than the fact that she's got the same hair and the same bone structure as Alex... I don't fully understand why she was chosen to die. Like, by Ellis. Like, I don't Mm. know why Ellis... Ellis could have chosen anyone to murder for the sake of her book, which is apparently this is all this is for, the sake of writing a book. It would have made more sense to choose Felicity, really. Yeah. Especially with, you know, a disinterested mum, thousands of miles away. She's traumatised, she's grieving, she's been institutionalised before. You know, there would have been a lot less there that Ellis would have had to fight against in the investigation yeah and I suppose you could argue it's because she cared about Felicity in some way but that's not really true either so she is a psycho sociopath I think yeah probably because I think they call her a psychopath in the book but I think sociopath is probably more okay I'm actually not sure what the uh, distinction is between the two I have to say Hmm. but that's fair yeah, I think I think with Clara, I think with Clara, Clara. <laughs> I think with Clara, it's convenience, isn't it, and access, yeah. and but it's, it, again, it's a wasted opportunity because I didn't really have any emotional reaction to that because we don't really know any of the characters other than Felicity and Ellis. No, that's why I said to you that I think it probably would have been more shocking if it was, even if it was like. Um, Kajal yeah because we see her on the page more whereas mm. Clara you just see the back of her because she looks like Alex like that's the only yeah. thing that you see about her whereas you know some of the other housemates you actually interact with more on the page even Leonie mm. as well yeah um, but no it was Clara poor Clara yeah I thought it was interesting what you said to me yesterday about how more effective it could have been if Clara's death was framed in the way that Bunny's death was framed yeah. in the secret history. I think it would have changed the novel completely, wouldn't it? Yeah. I think to see 
the unraveling of of that and then if we didn't know so much about Alex as well and how she had passed away as we learned more about that we would have been more doubtful about Felicity and her motivations and yeah I just think that could have been a more interesting way to frame it yeah I think so it would have I think it would have been a really interesting unraveling of Felicity yeah and also Ellis so that that's kind of what I mean about there's so much potential in these ideas yeah. and this setup. It was just that the execution just didn't make sense to me a lot of the time. Like there were so yeah. many times I was like, but why? <laughs> and I think like when you're reading something, the second you start questioning authorial choice, like you're you're thrown out of the story, aren't you? Yeah. I and I really liked the characters. Like I thought. And that, I mean, that is a big, I, mean, I liked Ellis. I thought Ellis was interesting. I thought we could yeah. have had, we deserved more than we got with Ellis. I think what let a lot of the characters down is everything that we know, or when we have a big reveal, it was, it was almost like the situation always felt like it was levered in, like, yeah, like Ellis's um, sibling turning up, like they, the only reason they seem to be there, they offer nothing other than to tell us that Ellis had a crap childhood, mm. which is fine, which is, I mean, that's the whole point of like a lot of characters turning up and then they tell you something, but you never always feel so obvious that that's their purpose. Yeah, I think it's a lack of anchoring the characters in the plot and the plot in the setting and is. <laughs> This is a really awful metaphor, but it's like, you know, when there's a big wind coming, you tie things down, but the, the wind still gets everywhere. It blows everything up and you know that they're not fixed in place. It's not a permanent thing, mm. you know, and I think that was really obvious. See, I told you that was a really awful metaphor. Yeah. You are laughing at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to picture it. I get I get I get you. I get you. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better way to say that. Um I think as well, like you know that Ellis is an an interesting person, that mm-hmm. they've obviously got some trauma and some psychological issues that they are working through, yep. the same as Felicity. But to actually murder someone in cold blood just felt like too much of a leap. Yeah. And again, we don't know enough about Ellis to say whether that is in character. And also I think the change from Felicity being grieving and pretty gullible actually I'm very kind of willing to follow Ellis and everything for her then to lure Ellis out to deliberately murder her. Yeah. That didn't feel in character either, character either. There was no there was none of that moment of her snapping. No, we kind of see them circling each other in the house um once uh we find out what Ellis has done mm. and then Ellis knows that Felicity knows and then there's a whole blackmailing thing going yeah. on and then um, Felicity tries to frame Ellis Ellis finds out and then Ellis is like I'm going to have to kill you um, I think it just started to get a bit far-fetched 
yeah with that um i think it kind of ruined the tension a little bit because you're like all right okay then do you know what i mean like because where Mm. can it really go from there whereas if you're thinking oh will she actually kill her yeah you can kind of build the tension by implication rather than i'm actually going to poke you with a sword which is what ellis actually (laughs) did and um, you're, you end up looking through the text, don't you? You look into yeah. everything that those characters do, and it and it it was too out of the blue for that. Yeah. But at the same time, like that last kind of fifteen percent of the novel, when it was all happening, was the most invested in the entire novel that I got because something was finally happening. <laughs> It was a different novel as yeah. well because we dropped the paranormal, the the occult stuff that yep. just gone. Witches and what we, witches. Yeah, we just gone full full Murder. thriller at this point. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I said to you, didn't I, that it feels like she, the author, had an ending and wanted to get there somehow. <laughs> yeah. So everything else is kind of. A jumbled way to get there maybe but it's a bit of an identity crisis of a novel isn't it yeah it doesn't really know what it is i think as well because we're reading it from a dark academia perspective this is what we're looking for yeah i think that doesn't do it any favors from our reading point of mm. view whereas if i read this on its own i'd still be like what on earth is this but i'd probably be less less um i'd have less opinions yeah. Because I wouldn't be looking at it from a dark academia point Not of view. Not analysing like, it. No, exactly. But honestly, um, I probably would have DNF'd it. <laughs> um, yeah, I struggled with this one. But what can you do? We do, we do it all for you. We push out through these 400-page <laughs> books that we don't enjoy just for you guys. <laughs> and on that uh, moody note, a dark, moody and or haunting vibe... It's definitely dark and moody. But I didn't feel a vibe, you know? I didn't really no, I think, feel anything. <laughs> I think, again, it felt like it was trying to tick that box uh-huh. because it had the right language and it was using the right techniques and mm-hmm. devices to kind of try and build that. But because it felt almost forced, we kind of lost yeah. the atmosphere. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, don't have anything to mm. add to that. Agree completely. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, hero worship of a particular figure or author? Um, well, there's the witches. Yeah. From Felicity, but not so, not a, not an author. Um, and also everyone of Ellis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I have to I have to talk about Ellis for a second. I have to talk about. The wild claims about this 17-year-old, okay? So throughout this novel, Lee does this thing where they attribute the most ridiculous things to these teenagers that all happen to be in one place. And it's it gets ridiculous. And I started in the end when I came across something ridiculous. It annoyed me so much I had to tell Sarah about it every single time. <laughs> Because it was too much. And I wrote them all down. Are you ready? I'm ready. So at this school, bear in mind, there is no formal education at this school. They just rock up to random seminars and do a thesis. But there are aerospace interns and uh, writing prodigies, 
but with no formal education or academic rigour at this school at all. Ellis won the Pulitzer at 17. And Alex summited Everest twice by 17. Which, you know what, I looked it up. The youngest um, person to summit Everest, I think, was 13. So fine, it has been done. But also, she's a scholarship kid with a single mum working two jobs. No. It costs... I looked this up as well. This is how annoyed I was. It costs between forty dollars and $160,000 to climb Everest. And she apparently did that twice by 17. With on she a low also, income. She was also part of a world champion climbing club. Climbing oh, yeah, team, that's true. Like the Olympic climbing team or something. Yeah. And um, Leonie's grandmother... <laughs> Uh, was um, like adjacent to the Harlem Renaissance and knew Zora Neale Hurston. You know, I just why they they randomly stumbled across first editions of Rebecca and the Haunting of Hill House. That one got me because what I would not give to own either of those. You know, but stumbling across them randomly, no. It was just, it was too many incidences of things being ridiculous <laughs> in one place. Yeah, and I don't know whether you could just argue that away with the fact that obviously, apart from Alex, most of these kids have more money than Anything you could shake else. a stick at. But yeah. then, I mean, even at the end though, it's like Alex, not Alex, Felicity now lives in Mayfair in her apartment while she's at university mm-hmm. looking that that has a balcony thing that rooftop that looks out over Hyde Park like are we just at this point just name dropping all the places in London right. that, <laughs> I yeah I don't know I found that bit as well and I got to the end I was like of course she does by that point I was like yeah of course she does why not it's just, she might as well live next door to Elton John because why not yeah exactly I just I don't get it. It's silly. And, oh my God, the amount of money <laughs> that it costs <laughs> to live away in Mayfair. My gosh. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Oh, insane. Like, was it something, she's like the um, the Morrows of Boston, the Boston Morrows, isn't it? That she, she name <laughs> yeah. drops a few times. But, like, I think being english that specifically is a kind of hmm, you sure about that <laughs> crazy yeah <laughs> i don't know yeah i had many mini rage moments about yeah. this novel i know you um briefly mentioned ellis i'm just gonna go off piste and just quickly mm-hmm. mention felicity's evolution of character by the end of the book okay um, I just, I felt, I, I was in two minds about it because on the one hand, I could analyse it and understand it. But on the other hand, it didn't make narrative sense for her to become this, I mean, for someone who idolised and like women's writing and women's stories and then to become this kind of almost like a masculine energy taking up like a, 
almost like a masculine stance in the world because yeah. she's quite happily flippant with her girlfriend's feelings and she wants to move to France and like sleep with a French girl because ooh la la like it's just very yeah misogynistic from a lesbian I don't know I don't I don't, I don't know how to I don't think she's ever she ever classifies her sexuality does she but I think that she, is what is yes she does oh, does she she tells Leonie that she's a lesbian oh yeah you are right yeah 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 it's, it it has very much middle-aged um midlife crisis man energy doesn't it yeah <laughs> which is weird for a girl and you know i don't know 21 how... by the end yeah yeah wild <laughs> <laughs> i i think the way that her uh mental health or mental illness is dealt with also isn't very responsible so yeah. I, I had a look into it and it it seems to be that she has um, psychotic depression. Right. Um, and there is a, a bit from um, Victoria Lee and they have experienced that as well. Um, which is really interesting because it's not actually something I'd heard of. Hmm. But the, <laughs> the bit where she just ab- abandons her medication is like, I'm better now. Um, yeah, I think that's really irresponsible. And then f- uh, there is a point where she flippantly gets back on it too. She's yeah. like, "Well, take these." Exactly. Um, yeah, I think that's very irresponsible, especially in a YA novel. YA novel because I mean, I assume this is marketed as YA. I mean, it reads as YA. I think, it but is. it it is Titan Books, and they don't necessarily always differentiate. No, they don't. You're right, but it. It definitely reads YA because the characters are the right ages. Yeah. Yeah. All of the, um, like, the the author kind of notes, not the notes, the um, the quotes and stuff mm. are from other YA authors. Yeah. So I think it does sit in YA. Yeah, it is classified as teen and, teen and young, ad, young adult. Yeah. Um, Which I think makes it more important more pressing to kind of be more responsible about see i used to rail against this when i was younger i'd be like why do we have to be responsible about what we write for what like mm-hmm. ya and teens i'm like no well you, you do yeah <laughs> you actually do um you can still present it in the way that you present it but you can do that in a way that's not harmful yeah because there has to be that flip side of someone calling them out about it i know yeah. i know she does get minorly called out by one of the other girls but in a way that is completely brushed off yeah and it's not ever mentioned again it's only in those like moments for effect almost yeah and then also there's the handling of kajal and her eating disorder yeah that's not good it's just ignored yeah essentially it's mentioned that's that's i think that's why i was so shocked that nothing else was said or done about mm-hmm. it because it's mentioned not once i think maybe twice or three times mm-hmm. there is um mention of it um but it it's just pointed out like it's fine it's just a fact about her yeah yeah and i, I think that also plays into this kind of this institution where there is no 
There, there is no one really taking responsibility for these girls. No. There's no one kind of checking in with them every day through these classes because it's it's a boarding school, it's a prep school. They live there, and it's like, oh, they're rich and mean. Let them do what they want. Yeah, and they're not really. There's no effort to hide what they're doing from teachers, really, because they don't need to, because the teachers might as well not be there. Yeah. So, we accidentally slipped into the uh, criticisms portion. I know, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes you just can't hold it in and you have to discuss it, you know? Yeah, they just had to come out. (laughs) (laughs) So, next up, we have old money, which will collide with new money or no money. So everyone in the novel is filthy rich, apart yeah. from Alex. Yeah. Literally obscenely rich. Um, and there is there is um, a clash between Alex and Felicity. Yeah. But again, it's all in flashback. And a- apparently being not rich just makes someone really angry. Yeah. Full of rage all the time. Full of rage. Just rage. You're a rage beast if you haven't got any money. <laughs> Although admittedly, spending time with all of those girls... I mean, I true. I would also be a rage beast. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a very sharp look at, you know, the how the other half live, isn't it? Yeah. Like, And everyone looked down on Alex for being on scholarship. Mm. But the thing is, I don't understand what they get from being at this school. Um, well, there is the alleged, if you're part of the Marjorie Coven, I want to oh, say. Oh, yeah. That She's you, one of the witches, isn't she? Yeah. If you're part of that group, then you apparently get better opportunities once you get to university and then leave and stuff. It's like like um, Freemasons type thing, isn't it? Mm. But, but again, other than we that, don't know enough about it to know. No. But yeah, it's, it's talked about a little bit, the money thing Mm. but mostly the characters are rich and mean and they're mean because they're rich and they're rich because they're mean there's no other depth to it really is there no (laughs) which is a shame um weather as a literary device i think the weather does play into it it does because it's set at the right time of year yeah it's dark academia time of the year Mm -hmm. it's the dark academia season (laughs) it is autumn to early winter is just prime that's the one isn't it i think that the snow has a big um influence on the story in a very similar way to the secret history actually yeah because it physically covers up the murder doesn't it for a while yeah but whereas in the secret history they're all bricking it because the snow starts to melt Mm. um it doesn't matter for them because they just needed it to snow to cover up the tracks. Yeah. Well, they wanted it to stay snowing, didn't they? So it would keep it covered. But in their secret history, when it starts to snow, they're like, mm. he's going to be covered. He's not going to be found. And that racks up the tension and mm. like their descent into chaos, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's very different uses of the snow around the murder. But I think that scene where she's she's frantically trying to put the snow back over the grave... When she opens the grave. I think that's actually quite a strong scene. It is. I also do question the ability to dig up a grave when it's frozen solid. Yeah. One person just with a shovel. Yeah. 
I mean, I know it takes her all night, but she would have blistered hands to heck. Her hands would be bleeding. Yeah. That's if you could get the shovel into the ground because it would be solid. Mm-hmm. It would be like cement. Yep. And it's, But it's... she did it. But then I suppose <laughs> it might have been a bit easier because it would recently been dug up. Yeah. But true. she doesn't say that. No. It should have been easier because Clara had only been in there for like a couple of days. Yeah. If that. That's true. So it should have been easier to dig up because it would have been all been... Yeah, loose still. Fluffed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it had been icy in that period, hadn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Again, not enough knowledge about everything else <laughs> to mm. kind of draw yeah, on it. We don't really understand. We don't really get much of a explanation of the how and the why of Clara's death either. Mm. We just know that it happened and Ellis admits that she shot her and slit her throat. Lovely. And then that's it. It's not like, oh, this is like, you know, I thought about this or whatever. It's Mm. just, that's what I did. It would have been really interesting to slip into um, Ellis's POV at that point. Yeah. I think. And even if you're at the position of, when we go back to Felicity, it's that case of the reader knowing more than the the protagonist, which I quite enjoy. Yeah. I think that's quite a, a powerful device. Alas. Alas. Finally, we have underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider. That's a yes on both. Yeah. I mean, she's not an outsider for long. No, she's not. But definitely for a good third of the book, Mm. she's very much on the outside, being older than everyone. Yeah. And Um, suffering mm. with her grief as well. That sets her apart, doesn't it? Yeah. But with the underdeveloped social skills, she's she's not trying to be part of the group. She doesn't really want anything to do with them at first because when she encounters them, they're kind of horrible. Mm. She's like, no, I'm all right, actually. It's only when she's forced into it, interacting with them that you see like her lack of <laughs> social mobility, I guess. Yeah. And then that just evaporates because she's adopted by Ellis and suddenly everything's fine. Yeah. It's not a a thread. You know, it's not something that Felicity struggles with because she has this persona um from before of kind of well she wears the right clothes and wears the right makeup and she has the money so she can make herself be this person. And I think it would have been interesting to have that conflict there of her trying to regain that persona or trying to shake off that persona or something (laughs) other than it just being forgotten well we've kind of covered some of our criticisms and interpretations of isolated elements we have there are still a couple of things that i would like to mention and that's the the use of animal deaths and animal abuse as mm-hmm. a way of, I suppose, developing character of trying to help us understand the characters better. Didn't like it. It was excessive. So excessive. Mm. And brutal as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was horrible. There were quite a fair few animals that lost their lives. Mm in this book and if you didn't have those I don't think it would have changed the story at all nope you got the crabs 
the crabs, the poor crabbies, they were being cooked. I'm not saying that makes it any better, but it is a normal thing that people do yeah. is cook live crabs. Um, but it's still not nice. No. Um, there is a goat that has to die for its blood for Sacrifice one of their... Sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, one of their things. There's the coyote that um, Felicity shoots just That's so that Ellis, one for me. Ellis can get her fingerprints Ellis can get Felicity's fingerprints on the gun there is the rabbit that Ellis as a child has to eat yeah but we even without that bit with the rabbit this is my argument for Ellis's horrible childhood experience is that it still would have been horrible it's enough without the rabbit it's enough without the rabbit definitely and there's ways to get um Felicity's fingerprints on a gun without shooting an innocent animal and watching it die. They could have gone out there still with the gun. Even just holding it, all she had to do yeah, was exactly, hold it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They all, still could have gone out there yeah. and it all just been a bit of a... Or even just practice shooting. You don't have to actually yeah, shoot true. anything. That's true. Yeah, it just... And it was it was a lot as well. It was a lot on page about those yeah. animals. There was more detail about them than the... <laughs> actual characters themselves yeah. in some instances and it was unnecessary. Yeah, there was a deer as well, wasn't there? There was a deer that had already passed away. Yeah. That, and that went into great detail of mm. its bits. Yeah. I realised that Lee was trying to be dark and moody and dramatic and shocking, but I think they went too far Yeah, over it and it kind of it, it pushed you away from the darkness of it and into the why why yeah. is that necessary mm. yeah lots of scenes that may be uncomfortable yeah um definitely yeah i think i covered all of my criticisms in my mini rants yeah <laughs> <laughs> under the under the points um so yeah i guess it's time for the big question yeah sarah is it dark academia no no it's like Lee drew up a list of what she thinks Dark Academia should be and ticked off all of the boxes and just kind of hoped for the best. Yeah, it's like I said to you, it's a bit like putting on a Dark Academia filter. Yeah. Like you've just clicked onto the filter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... I really didn't enjoy this book. If if you're unsure of that by that by this point in the episode... I didn't enjoy it at all, and it didn't even have the <laughs> the vibe. It didn't no, have the vibe. I mean, I enjoyed some of it, and there are there are bits. I mean, like we've both said, it has a lot of potential, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that about it. But there were also a lot of scenes that make it a bit unforgivable for me. Yeah, as I said, it was the last fifteen percent for me. Well, fifteen or so percent. Um, after the kind of finding Clara's body that bumped it for me from a one star to a two star. Yeah. Which is weird because I don't really like thrillers. So <laughs> it was... But I think it was just because something was finally happening. Mm. Um, and something that was a surprise, I guess. But yeah, not a fan of this one. No, this one wasn't for me. No. And if you if you do love the novel, I'd really love to hear about that and about why and what made it work for you because as you said maybe it's just because of the way we're looking at it so if you did enjoy it 
we would really like to to hear about your experience with the book yeah and if you didn't enjoy it as well yeah also yeah yeah. we would also like to hear that too (laughs) just in general yeah (laughs) give us your thoughts exactly i suppose we should uh, let everyone know what's coming next time yeah would you like to do the honors i will our next episode we will be looking at mexican gothic by sylvia moreno garcia he's trying to poison me you must come for me noemi you have to save me when glamorous socialite noemi taboada receives a frantic letter from her newlywed cousin begging to be rescued from a mysterious doom it's clear something is desperately amiss catalina has always had a flair for the dramatic but her claims that her husband is poisoning her and her visions of a restless ghost seem remarkable even for her. Noemi's chic gowns and perfect lipstick are more suited to cocktail parties than amateur sleuthing, but she immediately heads to High Place, a remote mansion in the Mexican countryside, determined to discover what is so affecting her cousin. Tough and smart, she possesses an indomitable will, and she's not afraid, not of her cousin's new husband, who is both menacing and alluring, not of his father, the ancient patriarch who seems to be fascinated by Noemi, and not of the house itself, which begins to invade Noemi's dreams with visions of blood and doom. Her only ally in this inhospitable abode is the family's youngest son. Shy and gentle, he seems to want to help, but might also be hiding dark knowledge of his family's past, for there are many secrets behind the walls of High Place. The family's once colossal wealth and faded mining empire kept them from prying eyes, but as Noemi digs deeper, she unearths stories of violence and madness. You did it. And whoever wrote that summary needs to have a good, long, hard think <laughs> about what they've done. <laughs> that, that was straight from Amazon. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we hope that you have enjoyed this episode. And that you will join us next time for a look at Mexican Gothic. Um, If you would like to subscribe to the podcast, give us a follow, give us a like. We would really appreciate that. A lot of the people that listen every time aren't actually subscribed and that really helps us out. So we would really appreciate it. And if you'd like to sign up to the mailer, you can at thedarkacademicalsbookclub.substack.com. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.